Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin later on in the show will be joined by the newest member of youth football in Minnesota, Vice President of Youth Development Amos McGee and also his trusty assistant director of youth development Noel Quinn to focus on all things youth soccer in Minnesota. But first and foremost... Um, Kendra, let's talk Major League Soccer playoffs, shall we? We know the season is over for Minnesota United, but that doesn't mean football stops. Uh, If anything, it it gets even busier. Um, The World Cup just around the corner as well. Let's talk about the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference finales, shall we? You were at the Eastern Conference um, final in Philadelphia, so we'll get to that shortly. But first and foremost, um, LAFC comprehensively pushing aside Austin FC. I was disappointed with Austin. It was almost like they didn't show up. But if anything, I think this was as comprehensive a performance from a playoff team as I've seen in some time, which for me, Kendra, if LAFC weren't favourites before, they certainly are now, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. Comprehensive, I think, is the perfect word to describe what LAFC did to Austin. And I was shocked. I was just shocked because... Austin was coming in on tremendous form. I know they were on the road, but they know they're capable of beating LAFC. I know that I think it was earlier in the season, four to one. It was at Austin, but still it was a comprehensive time that Austin found a way to, you know, beat LAFC. And it just, which is really unlike Josh Wolf. And I don't know if it was just Chirundolo out coached and out managed and had his team better prepared or because, you know, Josh Wolf and Austin are normally so well prepared and tactically have exactly the game plan of how they want to accomplish things. And it just seemed like LAFC was taking it to him from the first kick. And I know the first goal didn't come until, what, the 29th minute or something like that. But even before then, it felt like Austin could hardly get out of their own end. They couldn't possess the ball. They couldn't string two passes together. They didn't look dangerous going forward very often. There was a couple of miscues um, in the back by Stuber. You know, some weird things that could have been goals earlier. Um, of him sort of second-guessing himself coming off his line outside of the 18. And um, I was surprised that Jite started again. I didn't. I, I thought, and I don't know if there's something else going on there, that Uruti didn't start this game. I know he didn't start the previous one, but it seemed very specific to that tactical situation in their previous playoff game. So I was a little surprised, and I think Uruti brings a different spark, a different energy, a different way of playing and when they brought him on in the second half, it was a little bit uh, maybe too late. And it was like the 60th minute, but then he gets the own goal and it just went downhill from there. So I was disappointed in Austin. What was your overall like tactical, technical thought on it? Well, well I was going to say, um, Aruti did score, but it was in the wrong net. Um, and uh, <laughs> I felt a little bit sorry for him, actually. I, I understood why Gita started because... Of all the players around him, uh, with uh, Regoni on the right-hand side, Fernandez on the left, and then with the way that Driussi plays, he's not quite underneath um, Gite in the centre-forward, but but he gets involved in that final third, obviously. I understood um, away from, from home, it gives those three players somebody to play off. He's a big man, he's a big unit, and he can hold the ball up. I don't think they utilised him enough, to be honest. Ultimately, in my opinion, Kay, from from watching the game, I thought it just came down to, to moments of individual quality. I thought individuals really guided LAFC uh, to victory. And honestly, and I say this with all due respect to Philadelphia Union, this is why I, I think, um, and again, I know I'm not being encyclopedic, but this is why I think LAFC are ultimately going to be champions of Major League Soccer, because I just think they have individuals that can change things so quickly um for for them to um not start somebody of the quality of gareth bale and and i know his contributions have been questionable since coming into major league soccer um and he's had one or two little injuries um for them to still not be convinced with arango despite his goal scoring uh, abilities and and statistical achievements um it, it just shows what they want to do uh, bringing in denny boanga um, and he, I mean, he, he made it four. Had it not have been for the offside flag, um, I, I just think LAFC are, are showered with with individuals that can change things uh, in a moment. So ultimately, that's why I think uh, they're going to go and win it all. Um, you were in Philadelphia. You were on the sidelines with with Fox uh, last night. Well done for getting up early and joining us on the podcast. By the way, there's a, there's something in the air in Philadelphia at the moment. I don't know if it's the 
the yingling. I don't know if it's uh, if it's the water. I don't know if it's the coffee is different in the morning. I have no idea. But it's clearly a sports town that is rocking at the moment. And, and Philadelphia Union became a part of that, beating New York City FC by three goals to one. Uh, you spoke to Jim Curtin on several occasions. Um, it feels as though he's got the group playing for him now more so than ever before. Yeah, which is, is tough to do in the sense that that group always seems to run through a brick wall for Jim Curtin. And, I, and you know, figuratively and literally, because it's not, if you looked at it on paper, it's probably not the most talented. We know they don't spend the most money. We know they have youngsters that have moved on and some that are still there. But ultimately, for me, what what is so impressive is their consistency, which they've been able to stay relatively healthy, which helps. You know, yeah. we all saw that with Minnesota United. The second DeBossi goes out, and I'm not saying everyone around him, you know, can't play defense, but there's something about stability and consistency, particularly on your back line between your two center backs and even your midfielders in front of you. And when you go down the score sheet and the game notes of the Philadelphia Union and their lineup for every single game, it's incredible that Andre Blake has started every single match. Glesnes has started every single match. Uh, you know, I mean, Elliot nearly every match. I mean, you just go down the list and it's crazy. And then you have your left back who has 15 assists on the year. I mean, just certain things that, and they don't get a lot of attention. They're not LAFC. They're not NYCFC. They're not, as we see a lot in the bigger markets, they don't get a ton of attention. And I don't think they mind that. And I think that they had an absolute point to prove, not just because of the loss last year in the Eastern Conference Final, the fact that it's the same two teams in the Eastern Conference Final that rarely ever happens. Again, at Philadelphia Union, they lose last year with the 11 COVID health protocol things, you know, all those guys missing. But I also think just the fact that they've never made it to an MLS Cup Final has been gnawing at them, that they've been this close. They've won the Supporter Shield. They've been this close to the Supporter Shield again this year, sat at the top of the East almost, you know, the entire season, just about. Consistency, consistency, consistency. And then all of a sudden you have your, the pressure is on, down a goal in the second half, the goal against the run of play, and the world, they just lit the place on fire with the first goal, the, the substitution with Corey Burke. Gazdog has been phenomenal for them, I think completely underrated. Uh, Jim Curtin called it criminal that he wasn't on the final ballot for MVP. If you look at his numbers and what he does for that team. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a great matchup. And I think the Eastern Conference final, I think they deserve to win that game. Um, at the end of the day, they had a great game plan. They went about their business. Bedoya, you know, they lost their captain at the half, but um, he was gimping around on the sideline trying to do his thing. Kind of like we saw Maxime Cheneau do the week before in Montreal. Wants to help his team and contribute, but you can only do so much when you're injured. Um, and this is going to be a, an incredible game on on Saturday, at the final. And I'm, I, I don't know, Cal. I mean, I think LAFC has the star power and they have the home field. I think Philly might pull this one off that their de defense can stay stout and firm and Andre Blake can come up with some saves like he did where he went down for that one in the second half um, where it would have gone up 2-0 and, and got his hand on it. This could be a real, this could be a fun one. I thought... Um... Jakob Gillespie was impeccable again. Um, he got my vote for Defender of the Year, uh, and I, he went and won it. I, I think he's been remarkable throughout the campaign. And you mentioned Daniel Goldsdog there. I, I'm going to ask you because you are a more defensive-minded player. The situation with New York City FC for the second goal, when it came over from Carranza into Goldsdog, it almost seemed as like New York City FC stopped. Um, I don't know if they were hoping for a flag to, to come up or, or something else. They thought there was a foul in the build-up or whatever. Goldstock made no mistake and, and lashed it beyond um, Sean Johnson, who didn't have his best evening as well, in my opinion, which is slightly concerning on the eve of the World Cup. Um, I, uh, I just thought to myself, it's very strange. New York City FC have had one or two defensive frailties this year, but Alexander Carlins has, for the most part, been able to, to push them aside. Uh, in that particular moment, it, it felt as though New York City FC crippled. And before we knew it, Philadelphia got themselves a third. What what was your take on, on that second goal and what didn't happen from a defensive point of view? You know, back to the whole concept of solidity and consistency on defense, I think they were really missing Maxime Cheneau in that game. I think there's a presence that he brings and the way you saw him in the Montreal game, the second he came off in the 11th or 12th minute or whatever it was, coaching on the sideline, he throws a penny on and he's trying to communicate. And they had shifted shapes and formations depending on who the back line was. You know, you have a couple players out there that one was a drop pick in O'Toole, so a young guy playing on the left-hand side, not in the back, but on the left-hand side. Then you have ha Hack 
Harker yes, Justin Harker. And that's what right. I was that's my point really is that Harker's yep. playing at centre half. He's yes. traditionally a central midfielder in such a big game as well. He's yes, he's played games this year, but none of that magnitude. No, and he got eaten alive in that second half. I mean, it was kind of one of those things that once the wheels started to fall off, he struggled to gain, you know, get get his composure and those around him as well. I think Keaton Parks was maybe a substitution made too late. I think once he came on the field, and that was a whole different story, right? I mean, they try to do a quick restart. They stop it so they can make the sub. He's out there trying to tell people where to go and what to do, and Philly takes the kick, and they score the goal before New York even gets set up. And just prior to that, Keaton Parks has been on the sideline for like two or three minutes with their assistant coach going over the flip chart. This is what I want. This is where we want this. this is, you know, all the things that you have this conversation with a player before they come on the pitch. And then like he got on the field and the game changed so fast that they, everything he probably just was told on the sideline was sort of thrown out the window because Philly was coming at them. And, and um, I, I think they were missing Maxime Cheneau. I think that Sean Johnson needed a game like he had in Montreal and he didn't have that game. And at the end of the day, Gazdog, to your point about NYCFC sort of having this moment where how does he find himself so wide open? I cannot tell you how many times Jim Curtin said on every media availability that the coaches themselves sit around and go, how the hell is Daniel so open? Like he has this way of making these runs in the box and being wide open and he's their leading scorer. You know, and we've seen that with other traditional true number nines or goal scorers. Um, but with him making those kind of late arriving runs, they can't figure out if he's an eight or a 10 and just capitalizing on those moments in an absolute workhorse. And that's what they're built off of defense first. And then that transitions their high press caused problems for New York as well. And that has caused problems for other teams. And then just workhorse, workhorse, everybody on that team just works. And I think that's what makes them click. And then they finish their chances. Carranza was incredible, even though he hadn't, you know, um, gotten on the score sheet in quite some time. I think Ua as well was okay. He didn't score. He came off and Burke came on. He was kind of a force to be reckoned with. But at the end of the day, I think this is going to be a fantastic game. And I think both teams have a point to prove because they've been supporter shield winners and not made it, you know, to the final and won it. So it should be interesting. And it's the two number ones. That doesn't happen all the time. No, I I, I was looking for the stat frantically and I failed to find it because my internet's terrible. Um, I think it's the First time in 14 years, I think. I'm going to completely butcher that stat, but it, it's something along those lines. It's been a long time, is the points where the number one seeds have uh, faced off in MLS Cup. Let's get some predictions then, shall we? Because I, I don't know if we'll get a chance to do another podcast before we um, be, before the MLS Cup uh, takes place. You're going to be in Los Angeles as well, uh, on the sideline against the Fox. Um, my thought, as I've said earlier on, is that LAFC have individuals uh, and probably have a bit too much for Philadelphia Union to contain. My assumption is is that your opinion is opposing that. I'm going. I'm going to say it's two two in regulation. Goes throughout the extra time penalties. Philadelphia wins because Andre Blake's a better goalkeeper. Wow. Okay. I just totally yeah. came up with that. I haven't been thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let, let's bet a, a, a frothy copy of some sort on it then, shall we? And uh, we'll, we'll so go. So what? From there. You have a score or something? I mean, I need something more than just LAFC is going to win. LAFC three, Philadelphia Union one. <laughs> All right. What I think. Who's you? the MVP of the game? Oh. Um, it's probably Arango. I was going to say Arango, I think. Although yeah. it should be somebody like Ilya Sanchez, who's had an impeccable year for them again. But they never focus get on it. goal scorers. They no, they focus it, on yeah. goal scorers, and I get that. But um, I- I'm going to say somebody like an Arango, I think, will be the um, will be the MVP. I think he gets two. Um, but look, I mean, I, I can see your eyes widening now because you're, I'm, I'm saying Philly are <laughs> conceding three, but uh, I just think it's going to, I think LAFC, once LAFC open up Philadelphia Union, they know they have to open themselves up. They have to be a bit more expansive. I, I, I think they find a way through, um, but I think ultimately it, they'll be chasing the game and I think that'll open them up a little more um, and LAFC will uh, will win by three goals to one, I think. You? I think Gazdag gets the MVP, the attention he finally deserves. I think, you know, he'll he'll get a goal. And then uh, my close second would be a player like Andre Blake. I just think that he's, you know, goalkeeper of the year once again. Um, you know, had another phenomenal season. Didn't have the best game against New York. But at the end of the day, I think uh, if, he pr- if he proves himself in penalties and comes up with some big saves in the game, I and mean, there's so much firepower on LAFC, it's going to be tough to handle. Okay, well, uh, I look forward to the coffee that you'll be buying me next time I see you. <laughs> well, mine's way more expensive. It's got way more stuff in it. 
Yes, it does. <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, okay, well, we'll take a short break then, shall we? Uh, coming up next, the Vice President of Youth Development, Amos McGee, and indeed the Director of Youth Development, Noel Quinn, right here on the Sound of the Loons podcast. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results and care team, you're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. And a very warm welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams, as always, alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin. The focus on youth football on this particular portion of the show. So we're joined by the perfect guests, the new Vice President of Youth Development, Amos McGee, and also Director of Youth Development, Noel Quinn, join us on the podcast. Chaps, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, Before we get going... Amos McGee, you are a uh, soccer legend uh, within the Minnesotan ranks. Um, you are arguably Mr. Minnesota Soccer. Everybody knows Amos McGee in Minnesota. Talk to me about your new role and how it differs from your previous role. Your, your previous role was Director of Player Personnel. You're now Vice President of Youth Development. Talk to me about how that changes things for you. Well, it's a it's a big shift, Cal. Thanks for... Um you know, blowing up my ego um, beyond uh, reasonable doubt. Um, <laughs> the uh, look in the previous role, I was focused mainly on the first team and the second team and scouting recruitment and setting out a long-term strategy to, in terms of, of, of the teams, how to uh, ensure long-term success. Um, the, uh, the shift has moved uh, significantly to work more with Noel and his staff on continuing to build out the academy, build out the player pathway, and then a long-term uh, vision that Noel and I are excited about, which is to figure out how we can, uh, you know, at Minnesota United, um, help out Minnesota soccer in the long-term growth um, and development of coaches, referees, players, and infrastructure. So. Um, you know, it's a long-term ambition goal, ambitious goal, but both of us have spent, uh, I think, a lot of years in Minnesota, care about this community, care about uh, youth soccer players in this community, and, uh, and want to leave a lasting legacy in that area. So um, it's, a, it's a shift. I look at it as, you know, having spent a, a lot of time in the first team, sort of, and then starting to build into, into 18 to 30 players. Now we're trying to build in the thousands and, and hundreds and uh, tens of players as we uh, we build out the youth structure here in, in Minnesota United and the state. Okay, we'll dive a little deeper into that later on. First and foremost, though, Noel Quinn, Director of Youth Development. I know we've had you on the podcast before, but for those that weren't aware, talk us through your role and what exactly a Director of Youth Development is. It's a good question. Um, wear many hats, probably effectively led the academy over the last two years in addition to trying to impact youth soccer and then the community aspect of it. I don't think at Minnesota United we look at our our relationship with youth football simply as being the academy. We look at that as being the top of the youth pyramid. Um, but we also know that in Minnesota there are some things that need to continue to happen. You know, we need as many players as possible playing the game. Uh, we need as many players as possible playing the game for as long as possible. And then we need to create the best environment possible in which um, top players can push on from there, but also an environment that creates a lot lifelong fascination with football and a, a lifelong love for the game. And um, I guess to say that what my role is, is to try to impact all of those things, which is obviously an enormous project. But uh, within Minnesota, we have 
um, one of the best opportunities, I think, within MLS markets to create a sense of belonging with our football club, uh, create a love of the game of football and essentially a love, love of Minnesota United and then an opportunity to uh, locate and, and project boys towards professional football, hopefully within Minnesota United. I was just going to ask about that because, you know, Amos, I know you started out kind of by saying that this role is different from your current role, but at the same time, with the end goal ultimately to be that this youth development for both of you somehow has an effect, a long-term effect on what Minnesota United is and can be as we see the youth movement sort of in a lot of these clubs, just having watched Philadelphia Union last night um, in the Eastern Conference Final, that there is sort of a long-term effect an immediate impact within the youth, but the long-term effect of how could that present itself to the first team at some stage? Sure. And, you know, one of the things that I've admired that Noel and his staff have done is they really focused on trying to build a love for the badge, love for the club, love for the, the you know, and try, try to create a love that will keep them as lifelong members of Minnesota United in whatever capacity they end up. And it's, it is really sort of a, a circular ecosystem where, we hope to affect a lot of kids who are growing up playing soccer in Minnesota, get the best ones into our academy, hopefully move some of the best ones on into our second team and first team, um, and then have those players who feel such a love for the club end up coming back and helping us impact the community again when they're, you know, as their players going to clinics and communities and appearances, or in fact, when they're done with their playing careers coming back and uh, you know, coaching, refereeing, whatever they might do in the game. So, uh, you know, if we do this right, and I think we're, you know, we have the certainly desire and we have the support of our ownership group to do this, that what we want to end up doing is really uh, impacting, you know, having players, people, um, families impact the soccer community as they progress through it and as they come back around to, to, to start the next generation. So Noel and I talk about you know, about how we hope that when we're old and sitting on the couch, uh, you know, watching Minnesota United games, that we will have a real idea of, of you know, how we've been able to help build this um, as a club and, you know, as two people involved in, in this part of the club. Follow-up question for, for both of you, but I'll start with you, Noel. Um, how important is it for these young players that you're consistently coaching to see that there is a pathway to the pros, not only the first team, but the second team as well? Yeah, I think that ultimately, like, if the players can see that there is a journey, then you can either get a little bit more out of them or get access to even higher quality players. Um, the reality of this world is it's very, very competitive and it's very, very challenging to become a professional football player. You know, in the past year, we have obviously Devin Padelford signed a homegrown contract there which is, you know, great internally within the academy that the boys can see one of their own who's got there. He played against Everton, he played against Paderborn, played on the US Open Cup, and obviously a lot of second team matches. We had 16 players from the academy who were in match day squads for MNUFC 2. Uh, Carlos Leatherman probably played the most amount of minutes for anybody in the second team, was an MLS next under-19 all-star. Um, so it's just that constant, like, connection you know if I think back to a year ago or 14 months ago there was a young lad Leo Kone trained with the first team and he was our first guy from our new iteration that got an opportunity to train up and sometimes we just now look out the window at, at Blaine and we're like oh there's Carlos training with the first team or there's Padelfer and it appears like almost normal which you know is a great thing but the fact that we have settled into that sort of moment is uh shows great progress um, shows that there is a pathway there and um, it makes it tangibly real. You know, Carlos played for us yesterday and two weeks ago was training with the first team. It's, it's, it's really important that uh, the, the academy players have touch points uh, within every part of the football club. I wanted to ask a question to both of you about um, sort of the passion for the game because you both of your comments right there were really, really geared towards, you know, wanting to develop a love and a passion for this game starting at a youth level. And I know, Amos, your quote said reignite your sort of passion for youth development in the state of Minnesota. And I remember you back at the Minnesota United, you know, Minnesota Thunder camps in the summertime coaching way back when. So how important is that to remember and to get these kids just excited about the game at a youth level and not just within Minnesota United and the, the youth system, but even just as a broader state and a community, a soccer community, 
to make sure that they're excited about it. And that will kind of fuel their growth in the game. Well, yeah. I mean, Kendra, you, you think about, you look at just the numbers piece and you look at all the kids playing soccer in Minnesota and, um, you know, and you split it in half or something and you talk about the boys and you look at the percentage of those players who will end up making it into our academy at 15, 17s and 19s. And then you look at the percent, the small percentage of those academy players who will go on and play and sign contracts for the second team and an even smaller number that'll go forward into the first team. So while Noel and staff and I are very uh, focused on trying to do our best to help promising soccer players develop into professional players, we also realize that probably the bigger impact is going to be how we impact the 75 to 80 kids in our academy, what life lessons we can teach them, how we can move them, uh, you know, as I said, with a love for the game and a love for the club into, into the community and help them give back. Because, you know, I'm certainly spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to give back to Minnesota. It's one of the reasons why I left D.C. to move back here. It's because of, of how much Minnesota gave me and how it developed me as a person and as a soccer player. So we want to do that um, as well as, as, as try to take the couple of special kids that we have in our program and on our teams and give them the necessary knowledge and push and um, you know, support to move forward into to professional careers. Amos, amongst the many restrictions in, in youth football, I, I know all doors are open to a lot of players from across the country, but how much emphasis in your new role are you going to put on local players and developing Minnesotan players? So, you know, I, I think we have a pretty clear philosophy that um, – we're not going to go out and try to recruit 10 players for each of our teams um, out of market. We think if we're going to bring somebody in from out of market, they have to be an exceptional talent and fit area where we maybe don't have somebody that can help build and move our program forward. So I'd much rather spend time developing a, a kid from, um, you know, Brooklyn park or a kid from Eden Prairie, a kid from Minneapolis, than a kid from, uh, you know, Los Angeles, if they're equal levels, we just, you know, we think that this is a Minnesota Academy, which will develop Minnesota players, but a lot of times you need to have some special players to help the other ones along. So um, we certainly uh, will look at everything, but we're not interested um, at this point in filling out our, our team, like some, some academies are with a you know majority of players from outside the market. We think we have good players in Minnesota. We think we have an ability to turn those good players into very good players and whether or not they turn into great players and professionals, that's, you know, that'll be part of them and part of us and part of luck and all of the pieces which go into it. So um, we're excited about the, about the talent in Minnesota. We're excited about the different, uh, you know, the different, the, the diverse makeup of our community and what it allows us to do with, with our Academy teams. So I think uh, Noel and the staff have, in you know in a whatever 14 16 months have done a very good job of not only building this love for the game but unearthing some talents that uh you know that previously weren't involved in in you know in sort of high level youth soccer in minnesota and we expect to, to build out those pipelines um as well as taking some kids in minnesota that are in the system that you know have developed to a point right now where we can take them even further so we're, we're excited about that. No, specifically on that, how, when you look at back at the last 14 or 16 months, what kind of things have you already learned about the youth in the state of Minnesota, how they match up maybe um, in the system compared to when you've gone to these tournaments and things and, and what's the progress that you think has been made um, in the last 14 to 16 months? Yeah, really. I think like more than just the last 14 or 16 months, I have to rely on probably the last, 17 to 20 years of living in Minnesota and coaching football here at pretty much every level. Um, I've always been a believer that there are good players here um, and the environment and the structure of youth football um, can be used to help um, really grow that love of the game. I think that um, within Minnesota soccer, there needs to be a strategic vision long-term of the potential that is in this market. This can be genuinely one of the best football markets in the country. Um, you know, we have to start at the lowest possible level and, and, and look at the numbers of players that are in playing soccer up to seven years old. 
we need to make that as accessible and available to every single person as possible. Um, if we can increase the number of players and then keep them playing the game for a long time and then build an environment that's conducive to producing a love for the game, a commitment to the game and a, and a way to excel at the game, then we have a great opportunity. But I think that if we had a top-down build, that it would only get us so far. I think that we need to have effectively a bottom-up build that drives football to the very top. Um, if we look at the progress over the last 14 to 16 months, uh, playing in our first year of MLS next, um, you know, it's a, obviously a rocky start and a difficult moment to step in with effectively a, a local select team. We had taken some punches and found it difficult at times, but really since the start of 2022, the progress has been really excellent. We have amazing coaching staff with led really by P. McDonnell and, and Justin Ferguson, who coached the 15s and 17s team. And I mean, they're very, very high level, um, but they also really care about the boys in the, in the club. Um, and since 2022, we've beaten Manchester United. Uh, we have under 17s have qualified for the knockout rounds of GA Cup, which is a very significant achievement. The under 19 team made it to the playoffs in their first season. Um, and currently today, I was just looking at the, the results from last weekend. Um, yes, we had a good weekend this weekend. We won four matches, under 19s, under 17s, beat Cincinnati yesterday, 15s drew with Cincinnati. Um, the under 19s are currently top of the Mid-America division. The under 17s are second place in the Mid-America. And the under 15s are top of the MLS league in this conference. So the progress like on the pitch in terms of results is is unmatched maybe like in a year it's like you go from the bottom of the league to the top of the league is pretty significant but that's only a small piece of the progress the progress is in the way the players develop individually the care for the football club that they have the amount that they want to play for minnesota united the pride they take and represent in our football club and our state um those things i feel are way more important than being top of the league and um i think it's just the beginning of a process and and something that if we work towards and know what we want to achieve that sky's the limit really not asking either of you to identify individuals but i was fortunate enough a couple of weeks ago to watch some of the u15s and u17s alongside amos and uh, amos i know this is a group you're particularly excited about why well you know listen i've been been spending time with with nolan and his staff for the last couple months and um you know, and it's a little bit of an adjustment. Obviously, I've been scouting some youth football for our second team over the past couple of years. Um, but to go spend some time, watch the way the kids train, watch the way the coaches work with them, uh, watch the growth that they're able to take. Um, we have several exciting players in the 19s, um, a handful of exciting players in the 17s and 15s. They're so early in their, you know, in their development, the, the difference in maturity levels is uh, remarkable. Um so it's, of course, the younger you get, the more of a sort of a crapshoot it is, but they're going about it the right way. And there's interesting players to sprinkle in with a team that's that's trying to, um, you know, trying to make their the game plan of the coach or the game model work. And and, uh, you know, so you see all those little pieces of growth. You start getting more and more excited about some players now. They have a long way to go. It is is one thing to be a good player in, in youth football. It's another thing to be a good player in second team football. And then, you know, and then to be a good player in first team football, those are just massive, massive steps. But I think we're, you know, we're heading down the right path where we're trying to to move the move these players in the right direction and give them the proper support to to have a chance at getting there. So um, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, anybody who comes out and watches these academy games, um, uh, and watch these teams play, they'll see that there's, there's some really interesting players that, that are unique, you know, just talking to the academy director at Cincinnati, he just, he's like, you guys feel like you guys have different players here that are unique, that are able to problem solve in a different way than, than our guys in Cincinnati and Southern Ohio. So, you know, that's, that's a lot, uh, that says a lot about our state, the demographic of our state. Also says a lot about some of the developments going on in youth clubs, um, uh, you know, youth clubs in Minnesota. And by the time we get to the players now, you know, we have players that are further along in the process um, than you know they certainly were in my in my age, my generation, another generation will be Kindra's generation, and then uh, 
and then you know uh, and then we move forward so so there's a lot of development going in here and there needs to be more and we're gonna hopefully try to help on all ends of that development if i can jump in there i think what is very important to point out is that everything that we try to do in an academy has to be tied back to the identity and profile of the football club I think he once said it to me one of the first times I chatted to him about this process is that the academy is effectively the ideal version of what the football club can look like. And the ideal version of our football club, I believe, lives in our logo. Our logo is has meaning and, you know, it represents who we are as Minnesotans and uh, what Minnesota means to other people here. You know, our logo is is has um, the river on it, which is all about adaptability. And our logo has the taconite color, which is all about stability. And then we have the 11 feathers in our loon, which means togetherness. Um, we have the red eye, which means you do things in, in a unique way. And we have a star that talks about leadership. And these profiles, these characteristics are something that bleed through everything. So to hear him say that from a, a colleague or a peer within MLS to say our players might be able to solve problems better. Well, that goes back to living every single day about being adaptable. And it goes back to living every single day about being dependable. And the human beings that we have in the academy, the players, the coaches, um, everybody that comes in, they have to uh, display those attributes because it transfers to football. And it's probably more important than game models or um, how you play the game. It's, it's really the type of human beings that we want to be involved with Minnesota United because long-term, that's our competitive advantage is that we represent the human beings that are from here and we create an identity of what it is to be Minnesota United. And um, if we do that, we uh, have a great advantage across the league. It's interesting, you know, you, you look at Minnesota has always been a hockey state and it certainly continues to be a hockey state, but somewhere along the way, um, you know, they decided, people decided that they also wanted to be a basketball state and the development of youth basketball, AAU basketball, and then high level recruits uh, in Minnesota over the last 10 to 15 years has been remarkable. And, um, you know, you, one could argue that we're spending more time indoors uh, based on our weather and they have extra time in the gym, but of course it's not that. It's a fact that there's been, you know, there's been real growth in how they're building grassroots basketball, um, the programming that they're doing to get the players from being promising players into, um, you know, into sort of elite junior players. So um, there's no reason, you know, as Noel would say, and, and certainly me as well, that there's just no reason why we can't be one of the best soccer markets in the United States. We have some challenges to overcome, our weather being, a, you know, the primary one. But I, I think we have some supportive clubs. We have good soccer people in the state. And we've just got to help continue to build lines of communication and continue to give them support, um, you know, to build their programming and their development um, and increase their numbers uh, to get give us better players when we take, you know, take care of the best ones at 15, 14 or 15 years old. So there's a lot to be excited about um, with this with with this program. I want to ask a question because you guys both played soccer all along the way from little to, you know, adults and professionally and whatever level, how important is the interaction with some of the players that are above them, whether that's the 15s with the 17s, 17, 19s, you know, second team with the first team, whatever. And I'm not just talking training and stepping on the pitch and training, but just interaction with, I mean, I remember watching that video that our video crew did on picture day and the excitement from some of those young players, just seeing the first team players walk up the sidewalk. So just that interaction where they, you know, not just if you see it, you can be it, but just an energy about it. And, you know, they, they, the role model aspect and the idolization aspect, how important is that? I don't know if there's things that are more important than that. Um, I think more than idolizing these players, it has to become normal that they're around them um, so that they can see how they, just live their lives and prepare to go to a photo shoot or prepare to go to training or prepare to go to play a match. This is what being a professional football player is all about. Is like you can be as good as you want, but if you're not a good self-manager, you might not get there. Um, so it's, it's, it's important that we remember that there are five football teams in the club. There's a first team, which everybody's role is to help the first team win football matches. That's what everybody's goal in the football club is or what their task is. Um, there's a second team, which is a bridge between youth football and the first team. And then there's three youth teams. So um, we have to have that 
can actually normalized over many many years so that um that just becomes part of the culture it's funny i will tell you that i you know had a meeting with a coach and a player last weekend he you know he we asked asked him his favorite player he said neymar i was walking out to the field with another player i asked him his favorite player he said renoso you know so it is there is a, a, a you know a tweak in um you know and how these players view themselves and view minnesota united in the you know sort of pantheon of world football and and where they aspire to be so you know all of those are anecdotes which you know which uh, take us to sort of a collective idea that that minnesota united is not slowing down um you know the growth of the academy will will keep track or supersede that of the second team and the first team because you know, we have a lot of people, a lot of resources, a lot of interest in building on all five teams and and beyond. So I think there's, you know, I keep saying there's a lot to be excited about with with this club and certainly in this youth development space. Um, I think there's a lot to get excited about for, for everybody as well. Amos, talk to me about when you identify players, because I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of a shift now, because in the past you were looking at the ready and the here and now. But in your new role, one would assume you have to look at what's going to be the best for the future of both individual and the football club. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always projection and, and recruitment is not uh, it's just not a, you know, a guaranteed result. So you have players who are succeeding at high levels and high leagues in the world and you bring them over to MLS. And a lot of times they don't work. And based on the challenges of of our league, whether it's travel, altitude, um, you know, level of play, et cetera. So pace of play. So when, you know, scouting for the first team, it was always about what characteristics do these players have. Will those players translate to A, our league and B, Adrian Heath's system? So, so that's the way I went about it um, at that level. The second team level, you already start to think, okay, you know that they're not going to translate right away to MLS, but do they have the, the characteristics, the profile that you believe with working in our second team, starting to participate in first team training, do you think they have the characteristics to be able to make the jump to the first team? So this is just projecting down another level, uh, you know, with with this idea that you're having to deal with less physically developed or finally physically developed players. There are a much wider range of, of uh, stages in their physical development. So you've got to do a little bit more of a projection, but it's why, you know, we can have five or six players, as I mentioned, that we get really excited about, but there's no way for us to say that they're for sure going to translate. There's, there's too many variables to go into it. But that doesn't mean that you don't get excited about them. It doesn't mean that you don't see something in them and think that they've got a real chance to make those steps. Um, and then you've got to try to support them along the way, which is which is what Noel uh, and and me and the staff is what we'll we'll be doing here, you know, over the next hopefully several years. Just one or two more questions then for you both. Uh, we appreciate the time. Um, how much is the the first team then involved in what you guys are doing? on the youth side of things. And what I mean by that is how much of the coaching staff, how much of an interest are the likes of Adrian Heath and uh, Stuart Kerr, Ian Fuller, Sean McCauley, how much of the first team taking note of, of what you guys are doing on the youth side of things? Well, I can tell you, you know, I, I shot uh, first team staff, the academy schedule for the weekend. Um, and Sean McCauley was at some of our academy games. So, um, you know, I think they take real interest in it. Um, and they get excited about it as well. And the, the good piece is Cameron Knowles was a first team staff member um, two years ago. He's obviously our head coach of the second team. Um, you know, he's got a, a great working relationship with, with, uh, with everybody in the first team staff. He takes real interest seeing that, you know, the, the better guys like Carlos and, and Luik and, and Jack Roach and these players can translate into the second team, the better his second team's going to be. And he wants the same thing that we want, which is he wants to develop these younger players um, and push them onto the first team. And, in, you know, I know talking to Cam, he preferred to do that with players from Minnesota that he's known for three, four five years. So I think there's real excitement and interest. Um, and it's up to me and Noel to make sure that they're aware of everything that's going on, of who the best 
you know, the players who are doing the best at that in any given moment, where we are in terms of positionally, how we believe players are growing and developing. Um, and the more contact we have with them, the more contact they have with the academy, um, the easier the transition and the pathway will be. And that's certainly something that we have designs on making as easy and fluid as possible. I just want to ask you each, this will be the last one from me. If you can name one moment, I was going to ask you what keeps you awake at night, but I'll skip that one. And just ask you if you have one moment that you can remember that was like that aha moment where something clicked, maybe something with a specific soccer player, a specific youth player, you know, kind of like almost a parent with a kid where you see their wheels spinning and they get it. Was there either for either of you with the youth and whether Amos, it's your short time in this role or no, your long time in this role that you just were like, that's awesome, you know, and that just like lit you up, you know, let, let me, I'll let Noel speak last on this because he's been in the space, um, you know, with, with much more, uh, you know, much more volume than I, but I will say that Noel and I had an early conversation where we were talking about youth soccer in Minnesota and he mentioned it earlier today, uh, you know, in this podcast, but, but he has a mantra about trying to get more players playing soccer for longer periods of time in a better environment as possible. And that for me sort of encapsulated, you know, one of the major impetuses that I have to getting involved in this space is I, I have seen kids really like soccer fall out of soccer. I see it with my daughter's friends all the time to create a, uh, uh, an environment to get a bunch playing, to get them playing. So they're not quitting at 10, 11, 12, as some kids move into competitive and rec soccer dies out that they stay longer, play longer, and then you work on creating a better environment, those kids will move on. And will all of them play for Minnesota United? Of course not. But will all of them appreciate soccer for having spent more time in it? Yes. Will they feel more connected to the sport? Yes. Will most of them probably become Minnesota United fans? Yes. Will they want to go back and coach or referee or manage or put their kids in soccer? Yeah, they will. And that's that gets me excited. That's my aha moment. Um, to say this is more than just trying to get Carlos Leatherman into the first team and, you know, and and playing regularly for Minnesota United. It's about all the, the the players and coaches that have supported Carlos up to that point and make sure that there's a pathway for them as well. To be honest, there's, there's sort of those moments every week that you end up becoming normal, which is, is a great thing because it means that you're just living in that way. Um, I think a two, one off the pitch and one on the pitch, one a while ago, probably a year ago or so, uh, having a really hard time at the beginning of last season, just getting the boys used to the level of the league, the amount of travel, the this, that, the other. I remember we took the 17th down, we were playing Columbus Crew, and it was snowing weirdly. It was like we expected the snow here, but down there, I think everywhere in America is like sunny, like Florida, but um, we went down there and there was snow all over the field. and. The boys won 4-3 or 5-4, some ridiculous match where it was back and forth and we saved penalties. And in that moment, there was just, I was like, these Minnesota boys just have something. They like maybe want to bury it at times, but that fight part that come, can come out of them is very significant. Um, we prefer to see that fight from the start rather than let's wait until we um, have to be the victims here. Um, and so that was the first major turnaround in terms of like performances on a football pitch. And then I think even back just to yesterday with off the field, like I went into the locker room after the match and it was like a nightclub in there. Those boys were like celebrating so hard and, you know, like just to see the camaraderie, the enjoyment, the, like the thrill of win, not even winning, just of like being themselves um, with all of our like under 19s, under 17s together. That part was like so real and organic that it's like, yeah, this we've got something here, and uh, you know, it just needs to be nurtured and supported. But the 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 emotion and the and the, the pride of playing for Minnesota United was just so evident that I just loved that the video was incredible. Actually, let me be clear: as a nightclub, it was a general feeling and noise, and that was where the nightclub part of it ended. So let's just yeah, there was that. there wasn't too many strobe lights or anything. No. <laughs> I'm gonna say you're not handing out glow sticks. <laughs> might have been some oasis on the uh on the you know speakers, but that was the extent of it. <laughs> um last question for you both. Um say I have a 
15-year-old, 17-year-old kids that I think is fairly decent at football, but they've not had the opportunity to show that. How do I, as a parent, get in touch with the football club? How do I get in touch with you guys? And how do I see what's going on in the football club? Well, from a player perspective, where it's like if they're talented players, obviously we try to keep the door open as much as possible and, and try to fill every little nook and cranny with the ability to see football players. Um, we have discovery periods, whether it's tryouts, trials, boys come in and out the door. Um, we have a form on the website where people fill out and we do a little bit of research and dig in, but we also take recommendations from scouts, from yeah, local football, from high school soccer, from wherever. That's like the the thing about uh, Minnesota is we have to ensure that if there are top class players out there, we can't miss them. It's like we don't maybe have the luxury of London or Paris where if you miss one, there's another one around the corner. It's like um, it has to constantly be available um, to everybody. But also, you know, a good player is a good player, but a good player at the next level, you know, is a challenging thing. So it's for all the, the players out there, it's about consistent performances over a long period of time and then playing well when big moments come around because that shows a lot. Um, so it's like, we try to keep our eyes open, keep our ears open, um, try to open the door as much as we can. Um, for people to find out about the academy, really like MLS Next websites, um, our own website, those are the places to find out. But ultimately, it's it's about us building the best version of an academy possible. And that's the marketing of itself. It's like um, if, if we are able to locate, develop, players treat them well make sure they understand what it means to be minnesota united stretch and demand them all the time you know that's a that's an environment in which most young people want to be involved in and no what what are those websites where do people keep up to date with the youth football team and, and what everything that, that you guys are doing the the mls next website for standing schedules all that sort of stuff is the best place to see league results and um and, and the league tables um, our own website, um, mnufc.com, is a decent resource, and that's really that's really the main places. Wonderful. Okay. Well, uh, Amos McGee and Noel Quinn, thank you both very much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. Looking forward uh, to seeing some Minnesota messies developed over the course uh, of the next couple of years. My thanks, as always, to Kendra D. St. Auburn as well, our expert button presser, Grace Dearson, and of course, you at home for listening alongside us. For all the latest, make sure to tune in to mnufc.com. <laughs>